They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. I ain't got the time. And if my daddy thinks I'm fine, they try to make me go to rehab. I won't go. Uh, hi, it's John Hammondson, and I want to welcome you to the next podcast in a series of podcasts presented for you by the Psychology Association of Alberta. The purpose of the podcast is, uh, are to, is are, are to present information that is timely, topical, and even controversial to the membership. For some of you guys who have been listening, uh, you know, often I'll do a tapas, a little of this, a little of that, whatever, and then, you know, revert to what probably these things should be more about, which are single topics. That is taking a look at the current literature regarding one thing or another. And so today, as per the title in the lead-in song, uh, we're going to talk about AUD, Alcohol Use Disorder. Now this comes from uh, the APA monitor. uh, And the monitor uh, consolidated a bunch of articles and uh, and standards and... uh, commentaries from a variety of sources. For example, uh, the Alcohol Use and Mental Health ECHO program, University of New Mexico, uh, the Society of Addiction Psychology, Psychopharmacology, Substance Abuse, um, NIAAA, Alcohol Treatment Navigator, and so on. So what they were looking at is what others have you know, said and uh, put together um, regarding our position, the position that the APA thinks we should take relative to alcohol use disorder. Now, um, initially then, let me go through some of the statistics that they uh, provided in order to justify uh, this article. Uh, A Continuum of Risky Alcohol Use is the title of the article in the monitor. And what they say is there's about 30,000 folks in the United States uh, that have an alcohol use uh, disorder. Now that would be similar for us, I'm sure, here in Canada. And we know that there, there, there my headphones fell off. Oh man. Um, uh, we know that this includes things like alcohol dependence um, and alcohol abuse. And the first being regular, habituated um, use of alcohol. And the second one being intermittent, perhaps intermittent. Uh, excessive consumption of the substance. All right, the statistic that surprised me though, and, and you know, really, really hit me was that alcohol was a factor in one in eight deaths among people aged 20 to 64. And in people 20 to 49, one in five deaths relate to alcohol. Now, they, they didn't break this down as to how much might be uh, related to uh, you know, uh, uh, binge drinking uh, leading to an overdose, which is still possible with alcohol, but uh, uh, perhaps leading to reckless behavior. So accidents or uh, excessive use of alcohol contributing to a medical condition pre-existent. So they, they didn't tell too much about that. And uh, the other statistics that are uh, interesting is they say women are catching up to men. Traditionally, 
alcohol misuse among among young adults has been higher for males, but now they say women are in fact catching up, and that older adults and especially older women are emerging as um, uh, as diagnosed with this particular condition. All right, so. They define what an alcohol use disorder is, and unlike the Canadians that are uh, more prudent and cautious, you know, we, our most recent stuff up here has been zero, zero, zero. So anybody who's drinking um, is is at risk health-wise and uh, psychologically, behaviorally. So uh, they stick with the old, um, you know, yeah, women, you can have one. If you drink two, you're in trouble. Men, you can have two, but if you drink three, you're in trouble. I used to juxtapose this with a Scandinavian uh, standard that gave everybody one more drink. So women could have up to two and men could have up to three. So they still stay with that, that old chestnut uh, and, and are holding on to that. Um, they, they then differentiate between the motivations for alcohol uh, consumption. And, you know, I've talked about this other places. One is enhancement, uh, yeah, and, and this can be coping motives. That is, uh, drinking uh, lowers uh, uh, my inhibitions and increases uh, sort of an enhancement factor. So people drink for greater stimulation and excitement. Or the second reason, which we're more, uh, uh, more familiar with if we're in the treatment area, is uh, to cover pain and to avoid and escape uh, uh, something else. Now, they, they look then at, uh, at, at these two features and say, which of the two, you know, uh, how, 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 how do these emerge in a person's life? And as with many things that are as yet not completely tied down, they go 50-50. 50-50 is environmental. So um, stimulus seeker or, or people that have been in environments where high levels of activation and stimulus are encouraged, uh, you know, they might drink for the first reason, the motivation to enhance well, enhance well-being, not necessarily to escape pain. That's the second group. So where people have had lots of adverse childhood events, they've done a lot of research on this, that the more adverse childhood events, the more likely there will be an underlying tension or pain that the person is seeking to, to escape from. Uh, they say 50%, though, seems to be due to differences in DNA. And this research is really interesting. And again, it's all this. It's emerging. Uh, but there are genetic predispositions, genotypic predispositions to um, impulsivity and self-regulation. So higher of the first, lower of the second. And these two are the, are the twin culprits that seem to lead to alcohol use, again, relative to enhancement or escape. Um, they're looking at what they call a polygenic risk score. Uh, so they can look at the genome and say polygenically, polygenetically, you are predisposed to have problems with alcohol. Um, uh, uh, and again, the, the, aside from the genetics, this inhibition, the less inhibition or the greater uh, deficits that exist in inhibition, the more likely people are to drink for one of those two reasons. Uh, however, uh, with m many of these things, whether it's genotypic um, or 
are looking at scores that relate to self-regulation and inhibition, they say you got to be really careful and that there's not a one-size-fits-all. In other words, I think they're, they're anticipating finding folks and they'll say, oh, here we go, we got all these risk factors there, but the person hasn't had a drink in their whole life. All right, um, they, they uh, then continue to elaborate upon the peak age for the development of AUD, and that seems to be in the mid-20s. In other words, we've always cut some slack for the 18 to 22 year old, the university uh, binge drinking alcohol use disorder, alcohol abuse patterns. And what we watch for is as people creep out of this developmental, cultural, social cohort, where it is a common cultural, quote, behavior, uh, how many sustain this into their 20s? So all of a sudden we're moving into the, into the mid to late 20s and the patterns persist, whether that is drinking habitually and regularly or, um, uh, you know, uh, binging. All right, now, um, this leads to the contribution of the article in the title, seeing it on a continuum. And uh, they, they, you know, look for, uh, you know, pre-addiction, uh, pre-addiction signs. In other words, on a continuum, maybe the person is not troubled by their substance use. And they're looking at substances besides alcohol, but alcohol is kind of our target in the podcast today. And they're, they're looking at what they call, you know, a pre-addiction, much like Prochaska's, you know, contemplative, pre-contemplative, contemplative. So they're, they're looking at those things. And, and they're comparing it to uh, diabetes. And the medical guys, they can look at what are the predispositions that can lead to diabetes. And so they're thinking of this in the same way. Um, also, uh, you know, in this regard, uh, there has been this um, all or nothing thinking that is uh, rehab involves a 12-step program and abstinence. And what these guys point out is risk reduction, uh, and, and and risk reduction is okay if, if if people can engage in that. Amundsen uses the the um, um, uh, the uh, you know abstain is at the end of the continuum, but Amundsen speaks of con- restrain and contain. So restraint has to do with. Um, kind of saying, well, I, 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 I restrain myself from drinking spirits because I, I, if I'm drinking spirits, I can become more disinhibited, more drunk. Um, I, I may restrain from drinking, say, wine, because I know if I open a bottle of wine, I'll be more prone to finishing that or, or whatever it is. So restraint has to do with that. Uh, again, these overlap into contain. Um, and and uh, it has to do with like I don't drink before five, you know the five o'clock issue, right? Um, restrain means I don't drink socially. Uh, restrain means I uh, or, or I only drink socially. I'm sorry, both ways, both ways, right? So so then contain means how much and uh, at, at at what level? So this is the idea that they often say, well, only you know one drink an hour, or for every drink, uh, counter that with soda water or something if you are drinking socially or in a environment where drinking is the, uh, the expected practice, right? So there's, you know, restrain, contain, and then abstain. And the model of abstain, you know, has been predominant in the field. So uh, uh, what they point out is that in the, the, uh, 
diagnostic stuff right now um, is, uh, is, is a definition that says, a person is recovered if remission from alcohol use disorder, in other words, the binging or the dependence, is achieved and maintained over time. But absence in that definition, absent is abstinence. So instead of saying that the person has, you know, stepped away and they're completely abstinent, what they're saying is they believe that it is possible for people to go from abstinence to a contained restrained situation. Now this is anathema in many treatment programs and when you're talking to people that are involved in the 12-step abstinence programs, uh, they just see this as a red carpet for the alcoholic to just walk back in anytime they want, you know, hey, I'm doing restrained and contained and then once again they fall into the, you know, the uh, the social uh, consequences, uh, behavioral social consequences, health consequences that come with uh, alcohol abuse. All right, so um, uh, they do see though right now that it is growing, this idea of people paying attention to alcohol. And of course in Canada, people sort of like freaking out at being told, no, you must not drink. Um, so they, they have seen that uh, that uh, abstinence or contained restraint is now much more popular in, in, in popular culture. All right, so, so that's, that's the article. And that kind of stuff should, I think, bring you up to date on, uh, on the current thoughts through, from APA on uh, alcohol use disorders and then the general principles that might guide our treatment. The last thing they say is, Again, you know, I was telling every time something I say screening, screening, screening. So the ability to screen folks relative to uh, um, alcohol use in presentation when they're um, presented with anxiety, depression, or psychosocial problems, problems with execution of their normative expectations of daily life. All right, so um, gotta find another. Down in New Orleans where everything's fine All them people just sucking that wine Drinking wine is their delight And when they get drunk they start fighting all night Knocking down windows and breaking down doors Drinking half gallons and shopping for more And you got a nickel and I got a dime Let's get together and buy some wine Some buying pints and some buying quarts But if you buy half gallons you're playing it smart Drinking wine, wine, wine